we find ourselves just 37 hours away from a new year. And I know it sounds so trite, but it's hard to believe how fast this year went by. Anybody think the year was slow? I mean, I feel like I just blinked, and I was preaching a 2018 message. Well, here we are, 2019, and God's grace has been sufficient for us. We're here, we're alive, and that's good. But we, we don't know what, what's going to happen in 2019, do we? Anybody have any predictions? It's interesting. I think journalists are running out of things to write about. So there are a couple people who came up with their predictions for 2019. And, of course, one guy says, always count on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl and you know, all these, these other things. Um, but none of us know what will happen in 2019. But though the details are hidden from us, there are certain things that we can't expect. What are those? Trials. 2019 will have difficulties. And I'm not here to discourage you or depress you. But look at 20, 2018. I know that if, if we took an appraisal of what happened in our church family's life, there were some, severe, some ser- fairly serious things and difficult things that took place this past year. And that is, that is part of living in a sin-cursed earth. And we don't know. Things are unknown. There will be many news articles that will be written in 2019 to foment anger. Uh, our flesh will find countless occasions to be angry at God or angry at people or bitter at others. Plenty of reasons to be discouraged, I'm sure, will come up in 2019. And so... How do you handle this? Let me ask you this. Is there anything that could happen in 2019 that could steal your joy? Is there anything that could be like a wave coming over your boat that just sinks you and wipes you out and leaves you hopelessly, hopelessly crashed next December 31st? Is there anything in life that could happen that could do that? Yes, if you don't have God. No, if we do have God. God's grace is enough to lift us up and assure us that we can stand successful and sustained next December 31st, just as we are today, December 30th, 2018. How do I know that? How, can you have that confidence? Because that's exactly what his word tells us this morning in Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a guy who was struggling with the unpleasant and difficult circumstances that God ordained for his life. He was making his 605 B.C. predictions, okay, of what was going to happen in the year to come in his life or in the next, see, Judah Falls in 587 He's living in 605. Anybody can do that math real quick, you know, 20 years or so. Uh, In the next 20 years, some major disasters are going to take place in Habakkuk's day. And he sees those, and God tells him that these are going to happen. And so when he he looks at his future forecast, you know, pulls out his app, what's my forecast? (laughs) Not looking good on the horizon for Habakkuk. And when it comes to physical circumstances and issues of life, when he looked at his present 
there was not much that he could be grateful for. He, took, he looked around his life at the moment that he found himself standing in that situation, and he said, Lord, it doesn't look good here either. All I see is injustice. I see people getting away with sin. I see wicked people trampling over people who are just trying to do right. I see difficulties and hardship, heartache, heartbreak all around me, and it just doesn't look right. And a couple weeks ago, when we started this book, we saw well, God responds to Habakkuk in his despair and says, okay, well, I've got a plan. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, these rough and cruel and mean and vicious and bloodthirsty conquering nation to come and conquer Judah. And that'll teach Judah. (laughs) And Habakkuk says, wait a second, Lord, that doesn't sound very just either. The Chaldeans are far worse than the Judeans. They're all bad, but the Chaldeans are far worse. And how can you use the Chaldeans to judge the Judeans? And Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 1, you see him. He's looking at his life and the life that God ordained for him, and he's saying, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look fair. And, And if I could stand before God and have an argument with him, I could win. I could, I could debate God and win and prove to him it's not fair what he's doing in my life. You ever feel like that? Nobody's going to raise their hand. <laughs> but I can tell you, we all go through difficulties like that, and that is a temptation of our flesh to look at life and say, Lord, this is not good. This is not fair. It should be different. You shouldn't have allowed this to happen. You should have allowed that to happen. You should have done this. And we want to stand and call the shots and tell God, this is the way it ought to be, and what you've done is bad. And so what we find at the beginning of this book, this prophet of God, the guy who's trying to serve God in the, alone, basically, in the darkness of his society, he's bitter. He's depressed. He's overwhelmed in his heart. His internals are crumbling and his externals are crumbling. And there's nothing glorious, nothing beautiful about what's going on in Habakkuk's life. And God comes to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse number 4, and he says, this is basically the key verse of the book, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. There's two options we have as we look at our lives. We can be proud and call the shots and critique God and blame God and argue with God and get bitter and get angry and get impatient. Or we can do what God says, live by faith. Walk by faith. And what is that? That's choosing to trust God and his goodness no matter what's going on around us. And the question becomes, is God trustworthy? Is God someone that I can take my life out of my own hands and place it in his hands and say, you can do a better job with this than I can? Even though I don't see all the things that you're working, I trust you with my life. That's what God calls us to this morning. He calls us to faith. Depending on God, trusting in God, resting in God. 
And what do bitter and angry children of God need? We need a massive perspective adjustment. We need to see something, and that's exactly what God, this, this book, I have to say Habakkuk is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I think I say that about all of them, but I, I really enjoy Habakkuk because it's so practical for my life. God graciously comes and intersects the life of this struggling guy. He's, he's just lonely, floundering, discouraged, disappointed, frustrated. Nothing's going his way. And God comes and graciously speaks truth into his life, reveals his character and his nature to him. And I've described a dark Habakkuk. You can read about it in the first couple verses of the book, how he's all upset, all frustrated, sees all kinds of trouble around him. But then let's just, we don't normally do this, but let's go to the end of the book, okay? Read, come to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, and you find a completely different guy. I mean, the guy at the beginning was complaining and frustrated and bitter and angry. Now, chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet. And he makes me walk on my high places. Can you see the difference between these two guys? Same guy. Totally different person. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And this is not one of those books that carries out over 30 years. You know, this is a, probably a one conversation, one day interaction. I don't know what it was. It was a short period of time where God interacted with Habakkuk for these three chapters And let me tell you this, nothing about Habakkuk's circumstances changed from chapter 1 to chapter 3. He didn't win the lotto. He didn't get his health problem resolved. He didn't have justice enacted on people around him. He didn't, there was not one thing that changed physically in his life from chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 to chapter 3 verses 18 and 19. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me because I can't change my circumstances most often. But God can change my heart and God can change my outlook on life. What will always work to calm our hearts and souls and restore joy in the place of bitterness? And I said, always, always work. What will always heal your heart? What is it? Do you know? If you don't, you're going to be left with the bitterness because I can tell you this, life has more than enough trials and problems and struggles to leave you bitter every day, every moment of the day. That's living in a fallen world. But thank God his word has what we need every time to encourage us. God came to help this struggling prophet. No, God didn't change his circumstances. And often we think our emotional or our spiritual well-being is dependent on our current circumstances. Lord, if you would just deal with my difficult spouse, you know, hit him in the head with the sledgehammer, wake him up, or, you know, change my wife. She's such... 
hard person to deal with. That's not literal, you know, that's... <laughs> um, if you could heal my physical struggle, or if you could just for once give me a restful Christmas break, you know, or a vacation where the kids all got along and everybody was happy and everything went nice. If you could just do that, then I could be happy. Is that true? No, it's not true. It will never make you happy. And what you have is a world running around trying to find all those special pieces to put in the puzzle to solve their trouble, solve their, their depression and their discouragement. Yet God's word comes to us and gives us exactly what we need. God's word is able to calm the storms of our heart. It's beautiful in chapter 2, verse 2, after Habakkuk says in verse 1, I'm going to stand up on the top of the tower and I'm going to wait for God. And when he gets here, I'm going to give God a what up, you know, a what for. I'm going I'm to let him know he's got some problems here. And then verse 2, it says, Then the Lord answered me and said. And for the rest of chapter 2, God speaks to Habakkuk, tells him, reveals truth, exactly what he needs to hear. Chapter 3, God gives him a vision, an incredible vision of who God is and his action. And he sees God beyond the invisible. And faith becomes sight for just a moment. And that's all, God, all Habakkuk needs. God heals, fixes his heart. You know, God's word is able to calm the storms of our hearts. Do you believe that this morning? No matter what happens in 2019, you have in your hands the unchanging word of God that reflects an unchanging God that always has the capability and power to heal your heart and to lift you up. That's what this book is telling us. And faith trusts God to do right and care for his children, and even when we can't see what God's doing. So let's look quickly this morning at this. God's word corrects and expands our view of God. This is what Habakkuk needed. He, he thought from his perspective that he could see everything and he could pass judgment on God. Do we ever get in that position? You know, we start to think, hey, I know everything. I can see how everything works. I can see how this and this and that, and I see the big picture, and this should have been done that way. We are finite, limited people. We cannot see barely past the end of our hands, and we can definitely not see the future. We can't see the invisible, and yet God does, and God rules and reigns over it all. And since we don't know God and his ways we don't know God and his ways as well as we should. What happens is we, be, we are unable to trust him with our lives. If you don't know God, if you don't understand who he is and his character, you will forever be left to wander in unknown territory of questionableness and discouragement and darkness. What we need is to see God. Otherwise, we're left... To, to, to make judgments based on our own limited evaluations, like, well, this is what I observe in my situation, or this is how you know a good person or a good God would have done this, or this is what general society and religion tells us about God. If you're left to that, 
If you're left learning about God from the Hallmark Channel, <laughs> you know, you're in trouble. You're, you're really in, in trouble. We need God's word to correct and adjust our view of God and ourselves. And that's what God does. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 20, God's word assures us of his righteousness. You see, what God does is he, he comes to Habakkuk, who's saying, God, you're not just, you're not taking care of people who are sinning and doing all these things. And God goes right down the list and he says, you know, here's this sin in your society. Uh, and he pronounces woes, five different woes. If you have a pen or a pencil, you can underline them in your Bible. In chapter 2, you'll find woe, 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 woe. Woe to this group of people. What's it mean, woe? Not stop, <laughs> okay. It's, it's saying, you are in a dangerous position. You're in trouble. Disaster's coming. Watch out. Woe on you. It's an exclamation of sorrow, warning, or judgment because God condemns sin and he sees it and he will judge it. He is completely just. Verse 6 through 8, Woe to the bully who plunders others to enrich himself. He says, Will not all of these take up the taunt of a song against him? Even mockery and insinuation against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is, his, is not his. Here's the person probably talking about the Chaldeans. They're going around all their neighboring countries, knocking people off, stealing all their stuff, taking it back to their, their hometown, acting as if it's theirs. Plundering and raiding and leaving people desolate and, and wiped out. And God says, you know, woe to you who do this. I will hold you accountable. Verse, verse, verse 9, it says, uh, woe to the corrupt self-enricher at the expense of others. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. The idea is he has stepped on other people. He's taken advantage of other people. He's used corruption and all these things to get himself up into a position where he thinks he's safe from trouble at the expense and not caring about anybody else. God says, I see that. I'll hold you accountable. I can bring you down. Woe to the person who uses violence and murder to achieve their ends. Chapter 2, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city and, and with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. You've got this massive developer, okay? He needs this land out here to build his city, to get his real estate empire going. So what does he do? He goes out and he runs off all the farmers that are out there. And if they won't move, he kills them. Or he kicks them off with violence and force because he's the powerful guy. God says, I see that, and he's not going to get away with it. I'll hold him accountable. Verse 15, woe to the person who preys on other people to feed their lust. This is the, the deviant guy who goes to his neighbor and makes him, gives him alcohol to drink so he can get them drunk so that he can take advantage of them. Boy, is this not a problem in our society? Isn't this happening all over the place? It says, woe to the, to, verse 15, woe to you who makes your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. 
to go take advantage of somebody by getting them drunk or high on drugs or somehow getting them in a compromising situation so that you can fulfill your lusts at someone else's expense. God says, I see that, and I'll hold you accountable for that. Woe to you. Woe to the worshipers of false gods. Verse 18, people who build their idols with their own hands, make them, fashion them, and then think that somehow they're going to help them. What an insult to the real God. He says, woe to you. And all of this is basically God helping Habakkuk see, yes, I do see the sin of your society. And the reality is today, our society is full of sin as well. It might be a little bit different from the days of Habakkuk's day. And yet you look in society and it looks as if people are getting away with it. You know, homosexual marriage, you know, living together before marriage, all these, all these things, drunkenness, drugs, and materials, and the list could go on and on. And it just looks like that's just normal. And that's acceptable, and that's just the way life is, and people get away with it. Well, God's just, and he sees, and he says, woe to those people. God condemns all of that sin, and he says, and he gives two distinct revelations of himself, which I love in verse, verses 15 and verse, or verse 14 and verse 20. First of all, here's the correcting truth God brings. He says in verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that is a beautiful picture. He's saying, in this world where people think they're getting away with their sin and they're living completely without God, guess what? God is going to assure that someday his justice will be proclaimed and his glory will be magnified over every single person. How thoroughly does the water cover the sea? I mean, every square edge, every nook and cranny. You go down to the coral. You know, we were on, near the Gulf Coast this Christmas. You find pieces of coral. They have little holes all the way inside the tiniest little crevices of the shell and the holes and the barnacles, the water's there. And God's saying, even to a fuller extent than the coverage of water in the ocean, I will be glorified in this earth. And that glory will come out in the way that I bring justice someday. Every wrong will be made right. Every sinful act will be dealt with. Every rebellion will be judged. Um, God owns the earth and God controls the earth. And he's giving Habakkuk this bigger picture. Hey, stop, stop looking at just what you can see with your eyes down on your level. And realize I am up here and I am ruling over all this. I've got it taken care of. I'm just. You know, that person in your life that is causing you trouble, that you can't handle them, guess what? God's got them taken care of. God will deal with that. He's that big. And God's reality is he'll bring complete glory to himself. The word glory it means, the root of it is heaviness or brightness. It means his splendor, his size, his authority. On Christmas Day, a couple of us were, went kayaking out in the beautiful intercoastal waterways there. And 
we're kayaking along. We see the sailboat that had beached on, on, the, on the sand, and we went over. We're checking it out, and we're starting to make our way back. We were distracted, and this big yacht, like this big motor yacht, comes right down the ICW channel, and my brother and sister-in-law were in one of the kayaks, and they weren't prepared for this, and the waves, probably like two-foot two waves, came rushing at us and caught us off guard, and they got hit sideways. If you're hitting waves with a kayak, you want to hit them straight on. Uh, they got hit sideways, and I watched them. They're like, whoo, They almost flipped over, and their whole boat was swamped. I mean, they were soaked by this wave, and it, you know, here we were in kayaks thinking we were hot stuff. You know, we're out on the water, you know, we get to go to these beaches where other people can't reach and things like this. And then along comes this massive yacht, <laughs> multi-million dollar thing, and just, we're like, okay, we're small. <laughs> and yet that yacht is small and insignificant compared to the glory of God. And what Habakkuk, what God's showing to Habakkuk, he's saying, listen, all these people that look like big people and big threats to Chaldeans, they're nothing to me. I've got them. The Judeans, they're nothing. I, I got them. I mean, I, I'm big, and my glory is going to be magnified in all of this. Trust me. Um, and so Habakkuk needs his eyes adjusted. He needs his, his outlook adjusted. And if you go back to each one of those woes in chapter 2, you'll see after the woe, God says, here's the judgment I'm going to bring on them. They're not going to get away. There's doom coming. The bully who took other people's stuff, it's actually debt to him. And the collectors, the, debtor, the, the creditors are going to come and collect it from him. And he's going to be left empty. The guy who enriched himself at the expense of others, his world's going to crumble to pieces. And the stone in the wall is going to cry out to the rafter in the roof. And the thing is just going to come crashing down on him. It's not gonna. It's not gonna last. The person who uses violence to achieve his ends, well, fire is gonna consume his ill-gotten gain. And even wealthy and powerful nations will eventually grind to a halt and collapse, because God is just. The person who preys on the other person with alcohol, God says, "Guess what? I'm gonna pass that cup of alcohol right back to you, and you're gonna drink it." And you're going to be the one who's ashamed. You're going to be the one who is embarrassed and taken advantage of. And the worshiper of false gods, it's nothing. And they say to, to the wood, awake. To the mute stone, arise. What, is, is this the person? this the God you look to? I mean, this is nothing compared to me. And the last big picture of God in chapter 2 comes in verse 20, where God reveals his position right now. It says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And that is a beautiful picture. Here's all these people running around doing what they want to do, what, ignoring God down here on earth, thinking that somehow they're, they're all powerful. And yet God is sitting solidly on the throne in his temple in heaven Everything's under control. Everything's in order. And he says, Earth, shh. I'm in control. And that 
is a view we need to see when it comes to 2019. You know, all the things that can happen, all the troubles that you'll face, guess what? Is God still sitting in his holy temple? Is God still sitting on his throne? Is he still reigning? Can any of those things shake him? You know, we need to be silent before the Lord. Respect him, honor him. You know, this brings us to the end of God's specific revelation to Habakkuk. God knows these, this is exactly what Habakkuk needs to hear. And he speaks it into his heart. And the result is that now God's word is sinking into his, his Habakkuk's heart. And it's transforming his perspective on life. When God's word is spoken, when he reveals himself, we must respond. Even today, each one of us sitting here, the word of God is going forward. We're reading it off the page. We're hearing from God. Guess what? You have to respond to this. I have to respond to this. And some of us may sit here and yawn. Others may discount the word of God and say, well, that doesn't mean that, or that, that's, that's not true, or that's for somebody else. Or some of us will just be distracted about, you know, this afternoon or whatever it is. But all of us are going to respond to God's revelation. And the right way to do it is to allow God's word to reshape our hearts and our minds right down to the core. So that we can be changed to have the joy and hope that God wants us to possess. And that's what happens with Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 1 uh, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganoth, Shiganoth, however you want to say it. Um, here's God. God has been speaking to Habakkuk. Now it's Habakkuk's turn to speak back to God in prayer. And isn't it a blessing to have that opportunity? We can go speak to the God who's in his holy temple. We can speak to the God who reigns from above. And here's his response in verse 2. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Here's a guy yielding his heart to the Lord and the Lord's plan. Lord, at the beginning of this book, I was telling you what you needed to do. Here's what you needed to change. Now I come to you and I see you. I see you for who you are. I see your character. I see your goodness. I see your control. And I say, let it be your way. Wouldn't that be a great way to enter 2019? To say, Lord, whatever comes this year, let it be. Let your will be done. Let your work, your plan continue on just as you want it to be. Lord, I hear you is the first proper response. Verse, three, verse 2, Lord, I've heard the report about you. I, I, I hear what you're saying to me. Are you hearing God this morning? Now, that's the most important characteristic of a child of God is that we have ears to hear. Jesus would continually call out as he was teaching what? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you have ears to hear God speaking into your heart from his word this morning? The beginning of the book was that Habakkuk was complaining that God didn't hear him. Now he's acknowledging, Lord, you did hear me, and you do speak, and you are working, and I see that in my life. Isn't it a blessing that God always hears us when we pray? 
There's never a moment or time we pray that God does not hear us. When we feel overwhelmed and weak and discouraged and life is out of control, we ought to pray. Cast our cares on the Lord. He hears. He's the one who can answer. The second proper response to God's word is to say, Lord, I, I'm in awe of you. He says, I, hear, I heard the report of you and I fear. The word fear has several different connotations, but I think in this context, it's more appropriate to say, Lord, I am just in awe of you. I am in wonder at your plan and your, 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 what you're doing in this world in my life. And people travel to breathtaking sites all over the world looking for that, whoa, moment. And yet we can look into God's word and see God and say, wow, that's my God. That's the one who cares about me. And then lastly, the last proper response we see in this verse is that, is Lord, continue your good plan in my day. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Lord, I know you worked in creation. I know you worked in Abraham's day. I know you worked in David's day. I know you worked you know, in Christ's day and in the New Testament times. But what about my day? What about 2019? Are you still here? Is he? Yes, he is. And our hearts ought to say, Lord, continue your good plan today in my life. And I'm a willing vessel in your hand. Do as you wish. But he makes this request at the end of verse 2. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, God is just. And Habakkuk has been crying for the justice of God. But now he sees, wow, God, you are really just. And there's not one person that's going to get away with their sin. Lord, please be merciful. (laughs) Be merciful to me. How many of us want to stand before God and be at the total justice of God? How many of us are guilt-free? How many of us are sinless? How many of us are righteous in ourselves? None of us. And we need God's mercy. And isn't that what Christ did for us on the cross? In wrath, remember mercy. God's wrath and his mercy met in Christ, on Christ, on the cross, where God's full justice for all of my sin, all of your sin, was poured out on Jesus Christ. And God's justice was completely met for every sin. And yet it was also merciful because he died in my place, offering to me forgiveness which I don't deserve, having compassion on me and my sin, that's good news. And If you don't know that news, that'd be the best thing to receive today, receive Christ. If we want success in 2019, meditate on God's word. That's what's transformed Habakkuk's life, and it will transform you too. I don't know how, what your relationship with God's word was this past year. I hope you were trying to read But make the commitment in your heart, Lord, by your grace, I want to trust, I I want to interact with your word more. I want to meditate on it more. I want to interact with it more because I know that that's what can change my life. God uses 
dramas, or in, in good dramas, you use conversations. You know, you, Pastor Dan talked about Hallmark movies this morning in Sunday school. You know, you've always got, they're sitting down at the coffee table or in the house, on the couch, whatever. They're having their conversations. Good thing the whole thing is not conversations, right? I don't know about you. I can only handle so many Hallmark movies and romantic movies. I do it for my wife. But I, if I'm choosing a movie, I want to see some action. You know, I, I want to see some things, some bullets flying. You know, I want to see some explosions and, and things like that. Because that's what makes things... You've got to have a little bit of conversation to build up to the tension so you can have the bullets flying, right? But then you get to the action, and that's what God's doing here in the book of Habakkuk. He's been talking back and forth with Habakkuk, revealing truth that he needed to hear. Now he says, let me show you some action. And that's chapter 3. You know, on Thursday evening in New York City, there was a, a glare of a bright blue light. I don't know if you saw that in the news. But anything that happens in New York City, guess what? Everybody's got their camera out and they're recording it and probably every square inch of New York City is under camera access. But what happened was a Con Edison power plant substation, they had some kind of malfunction, and an arc of high-power electricity went from 20 feet above on a, on a wire to 20 feet down to the ground, and it just burned an arc flash for several minutes, I think. And it created this eerie blue... I should have put a picture in here. This eerie blue appearance over the sky and this bright light off to the side, and people are calling 911. What's going on? It looks like everything's blowing up over there. And Governor Kumo, I don't have much, I don't like him very much, but he did do something funny. He, he, as in this news report, he comes out and he's holding, he says, everything's under control. We did find this, and he holds up an alien mask, <laughs> you know, but we think it's part of the safety equipment of the workers here. But the, the point is, you know, you have some big bright flash of light in the sky and, and it's going to catch everybody's attention, right? Well, here's what God says to Habakkuk. He says, let me show you who I am. In verse 3, it says, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is southeast Judah you know, across the Dead Sea and the mountains that are off and they can see in the distance. It's like God starts appearing from the mountains, and he comes across the, the desert to the south, and he starts rushing through in this massive display of power and glory. And God says, catch a glimpse of me in action. Watch me. And here Habakkuk describes this unique experience of God becoming visible for just a moment in time, and is one full of action. Uh, the scene, God's saying, observe my glory. Look at verses 3 and 4. He comes rushing through. It says, his splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight, and his rays flash from his hands, and there's the hiding of his power. He comes, and there's light, and there's rejoicing, and there's praise. You say, well, who's praising? Who's where?" Where is this praising coming from? The earth is full of his praise. Is this the people praising God? No. I mean, the people of Habakkuk's day, the last thing they want to think about is God. 
And yet the reality is, as Jesus said in Luke 19, as he was coming in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the the Pharisees are saying, stop them from praising you and, and, and proclaiming you as the Messiah. And Jesus says, but Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. That's the majesty of our God. He will be praised. And we have the distinct honor of joining in that praise voluntarily now. As we sing at the beginning of our worship service, what an opportunity to lift our voices in praise to this God. He comes lightning, flashes, splendor, glory, magnificence. Everywhere he goes, before him, verse 5, goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He's saying to Habakkuk, listen, I'm taking, I'm taking care of some judge, judgment right now. Here comes a plague. Here comes a natural disaster. I'm dealing with people. No, it's not universal. It's not everywhere, everyone right now being held accountable, but I am doing things. Isn't that an interesting picture for our day? And when God sends a hurricane, when God sends a famine, when God sends a tsunami, God is speaking to us in those things. He judges sinners with disease and disaster. Verse 6, he comes in action. It says he's, it's all like he momentarily pauses and he looks over the earth and he sees the most powerful nations, you know, the greatest nation in the world. We're, we're America. We're the most powerful, the most wealthy nation in the world. Well, guess what? We're not the first nation to claim that. And we probably won't be the last. You know, God sees the pride of man who who turn away from him. And he says, let me go reduce them. He says, the ancient, yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. There's no nation that's everlasting. God is everlasting. And his rushing wind comes through and it shakes the curtains and the tents of even the Bedouin out in the wilderness as God comes by. And what is, what is God doing? He's showing Habakkuk, hey, I am far from sleeping. You know, I am not some old guy in a rocking chair up in heaven who can barely take care of myself. No, I am the almighty, all-powerful God. I rush around. I'm active. You think God and his action has changed one bit from Habakkuk's day to today? If God would give us this grace of a theophany, which he has in his word, we would see him rushing around, racing around in tumult and power, creation shaking in disturbance as God passes by. Judgment coming on man. He's not just racing around to waste his own energy and to get exercise. (laughs) He's coming to judge and to work and to intervene and interact and save his people. You see in verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Here's why God's racing around. He's working to save Now, isn't that a beautiful thought to carry with us for 2019? When you find yourself in the darkness of the valley, your feet are stuck in the mud, guess what? God's there, and he can save. 
And we have to look to him. And after all of this revelation, Habakkuk has been changed by God's word. And his response, we see in verse 16. It says, I heard and my inward parts trembled and at the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Here's Habakkuk. He says, Lord, I, I see you. I believe you. And what you have said means there's danger and trouble coming my way. <laughs> the Chaldeans are coming. They're going to conquer us. They're going to wipe us out. Uh, you see an expansion on this in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. You know, it's hard for us in modern America to appreciate what he's saying here. Because how many oxen or cattle do you have in your stalls? Okay. How many fig trees are you waiting on? How many olive trees are you dependent on? How many vines are you dependent on? We have Publix, right? <laughs> we got Walmart, Aldi. We've got so many stores around us. And yet what he's saying is when God's plan unfolds and the Chaldeans come and they surround and lay siege to Jerusalem and Judah and take all of the wealth, all of the food, and they hold us captive. And yes, God's judgment comes in disease and famine and all these things. It's going to be bleak. It's going to be dark. Now, is it true that God's will leads through distress and trouble? Was it God's will for, for Habakkuk to face Chaldean deportation and conquering? You know, I, we don't know much about Habakkuk, but one thing we do know, he's no longer with us. Right? Something happened. Somehow he died. And that shouldn't come as too much of a shock to us because that happens to everybody. And the reality is God's will often leads through troubling times. And in the midst of God judging sinners, God judging the Judeans, guess where Habakkuk lives? He lives in Judah. Judah. And the demise of the Judeans means physical pain and suffering and struggle and difficult times for God's servant living in the midst of them. And the same thing can be true with us living in our world today. Is God going to judge? Yes, he will. I don't know what will happen in 2019 or 20 or 2019, you know, whatever it is, three. 2029, 2059. Now, when will it be that God's judgment catches up with our country, with our society? Now, God's will leads through difficult times. We could say, in a modern way, verse number 17, though the company go bankrupt and we be laid off from our jobs, though the grocery stores run out of food and people begin starving and riding in the streets. Though I lose the ability to take care of myself and meet my own needs. 
Though the USA collapsed in a financial crisis and ensuing political turmoil, and though I die, what? If those were to happen in 2019, what? Well, how would you respond? How would I respond? Well, how does he? Verse 18. Yet, that's a big yet, right? Yet, if all of these things happen, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now that is faith. That's a righteous man living by his faith. And I wonder this morning as we look to the future, 2018 brought with it major trials for many in this room and many in our church. How have you responded to those trials? Are you living in worry? Are you caving to bitterness and impatience and anger and hopelessness? We need to join Habakkuk in a theological perspective adjustment. 2019, we know trials are coming. And left untreated with the truth of God's word, fear caves to worry. Look what, look what happens to Habakkuk when he starts rec- realizing what's going to happen in his future. Verse 16, I heard, and what? My inward parts trembled. I mean, my insides just start shaking. At at the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place, I tremble. You ever feel like that? It's been a while since I've been in that trembling condition. But there are things that can happen in life that can shake us, right? And one thing I think we can observe is it's not... It's not sin to have emotions. It's not sin to tremble, to shake, to cry. You know, there are, there are realities, there are things that happen in our natural response, our, our bodies. God created us to respond to those things. You don't have to sit there with a smile on your face. It's okay. When, when the news comes, when it sinks into Habakkuk's life, he is shaken to his core. And there's physical response there. Now the question is, what do you do with this? It's not sin to face emotional turmoil. How we handle it and how we respond to it is where we either sin or glorify God. And that's what happens in Habakkuk's life. He takes that trembling moment, and if he left it untreated with the truth of God's word, his fear would cave to worry. He would be back at chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, or worse. And that would be sin. But instead, he looks to the Lord and replaces fear with faith. That's what we need to do. And how can we do that? Well, look at God. He says, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Who is this God? You know, he's boasting about, he's rejoicing, he's happy, even though all these bad things are on the horizon. How does that work? Well, because his joy is in the Lord. 
The Lord is his strength. Verse number 19. The Lord God is my strength. Faith depends on the limitless strength of God. This is Yahweh God. Two names of God mashed together to emphasize who he is. Saying, he is my strength. What strength? Now the English word can't capture fully the the Hebrew term here. The, The word is capacity. The Lord God is my capacity. He's he's the size of resource that I have. My brother drove to Connecticut for um, Christmas from South Carolina in his Tesla, and it's a battery-powered car, and you can only go a couple hundred miles before you have to stop at this supercharger and wait an hour or so for the thing to recharge and then go a couple hundred more. And, you know, Tesla boasts about their big batteries and how powerful and how far they can go. Guess what? It still runs out. And if I were to look at my life and try to adjust or handle all my trials, I'm like a AAA battery. (laughs) Okay? I got just barely enough power to get out of bed before I'm going to be overwhelmed with life if I'm left on my own. And every moment of every day, I'm going to be running out of juice. And yet when I trust in God, he is my battery. He is my source. He's my capacity. He's my strength. And he is able to do, assure my unending safety. Verse 19, this is the beautiful verse. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet. And and makes me walk on my high places. Hind or deer, mountain goats. And I don't know if you've seen them in action in the mountains, but those things can go over almost anything and climb up the steepest, most craggy, get to the top of the mountain and be there. And what, what Habakkuk is saying, here's his confidence. Yes, trouble's coming in my life, but my God will be bigger than that. And my God will be able to take me and raise me above all the trouble in my life. He can lift me out of the valley. He can pull me out of the mud and set me up on the high place where I will be safe. That is hope. That is assurance. And just like today, at the end of 2019, my God's, by God's grace, I am going to be walking on high places. I, nothing will happen in 2019 by God's grace if I keep my eyes on him. That will swamp me out. Nothing will sink me. Nothing will leave me in discouragement and bitterness and anger if I keep my eyes on him. And the same thing is true for you. And even if 2019 is the last year recorded on my gravestone, at the end of the year, because Jesus Christ died and rose again for me, I will be walking on high places. If I die this year, God's grace will still have me walking on high places. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, how can you not rejoice in that? In anything that happens, if financial disaster comes, if physical disability comes, long-term health crisis, the dreaded cancer, you know, relational rejection, Ministry reduction, religious persecution, political turmoil. If all of that happens in 2019, guess what? 
at the end of 2019, by God's grace, I will be walking on high places. What about you? Do you believe that? Is God able to do that for you? And we're out of time. But man, go read Romans 8, 31 through 39. God is committed to us and all we have.